is Raketti here and I'm back for another interview with uh, Melissa Noel. She's an award-winning journalist. Uh, she's worked in places or reported in places such as St. Vincent, Barbados, Guyana, Cuba, Trinidad. She's all over. She's international. And we're back for another session of uh, For the Culture. And uh, she's definitely here for the culture. How are you? I'm doing really well. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely here for the culture. Excited to talk and chat with you. Mm -hmm. She's doing very well because she just came back from Trinidad Carnival, getting crazy, having all the fun. And you know, for the first <laughs> time I went to Trinidad Carnival just to enjoy it with my friends and family. I Aww. didn't go to work. And that's something that often doesn't, that doesn't happen often. So I was very happy to just take in Trinity Carnival as a reveler and not as a reporter. Right. So how, how many times have you been to Trinidad? Oh, I've been to Trinidad countless times. <laughs> I don't even, both for carnival and just uh, to do stories and to see family, see my college friends, Howard University stand up. Um, <laughs> yeah, there's literally, I feel like Howard is international. You go anywhere and people are there from Howard. Anywhere in the world I have gone, I have seen, met conversed with the Howard alum and when I was in Trinidad so many of my friends from college are Trinidadian it's always um, like a reunion okay. everywhere I went it was like yo it's family <laughs> it was great so yeah <laughs> so um tell everyone about like just give everyone a little background about yourself and um how you found yourself in journalism sure so I am a very proud Guyanese American hey! <laughs> <laughs> um, born here in New York City, but, you know, having that good old um, first-generation immigrant life, kind of yeah. did the back-and-forth thing between here and Guyana. Um, loved every part of having that experience, that Guyanese experience, that Guyanese upbringing, both here and, you know, just getting that opportunity to be there with my parents, which I appreciated so much. Mm. But the reason why I became a journalist is because of my grandmother. I call her my Guyanese gold, <laughs> Miss Laura Benjamin, God rest her. She, every week growing up, like when my parents decided to settle in New Jersey, finally, she would have me go to the local West India market, Joe's Market. Oh, actually, no, I've actually <laughs> been to Joe's. That's hilarious. In Newark, right? Yes. yes. She would That's have me hilarious. go to Joe's Market, pick up Starbuck newspaper and come home and read it to her. Why? It's because she wanted to still feel connected to home. Mm -hmm. And the way I saw that woman light up when she would hear like, Miss Petty, you know, <laughs> Miss Petty dead or, <laughs> or, or there was this, or this happened at the church or this is happening in the village. Like she would light up because she still felt like she was a part of the community. She still felt like she was a part of home. And to see how connected she felt by stories, mm -hmm. I was like, I want to do that. I want to help keep people connected whether it's to their home, a community, to people, whatever it is. And like I was what, like nine years old at the time and I said, I'm gonna be a journalist. Like that's it. I want people to feel the way Granny feels and that's that. And, <laughs> and I stuck with it and my dad used to have me sit down and watch World News with Peter Jennings with him. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna be a journalist, but I'm not just gonna write, I wanna be on TV done and like I stuck with that wow. that's <laughs> very then, rare yeah that, I mean and sometimes I think people start off and then they're like they you know stray which is fine because you still have to make sure that you are doing the right thing yeah for yourself you know uh -huh. like but for me it was just there was nothing else that I would rather do at all <laughs> so you're a Howard alum and you're also a CUNY uh, yeah, CUNY J School, um, journalism school alum. So that's why I did my master's program in journalism and international affairs. So I feel like I got the best of, the best of both worlds. So uh, you actually teach here as well. When, when I say here, we're at uh, the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism. Mm -hmm. You What do you teach here? So I do short courses with um, first semester graduate students as well as undergraduates that are looking to uh, further their journalism careers or to study journalism so anything from um, short courses on the art of journalism social media and reporting um, also I work with students on how to research so making sure that they're getting great sources mm -hmm. for their stories so how to research get sources for their stories how to find numbers or people find court cases all those all those things that's what I teach students um, how to do and I really really enjoy being able to 
to really pass on the information to the next generation of journalists and also it keeps me on my toes. <laughs> so quick question, what are short courses? So they short courses are ones that are, it wouldn't be a full semester. They might last a couple of weeks, three, four weeks, something like that. And then for the research components that I do with students, those are semester long. Hmm. Yeah. So how did you come to work? That's very rare to work for your alma mater as well. Um, it's one of those things that I kind of fell into. Journalism is not the easiest business. Mm -hmm. It's very, it's tough. I won't lie. It's a tough business. A, a lot of times people get really discouraged because there's particularly for television or on-air reporting for every job you have, you have like, I don't know, like a hundred people vying for it. So, right. um, when you're trying to make your mark or make your way into the industry, you know, Truth be told, you gotta eat, you gotta figure things out. Mm -hmm. So I said, what better way to keep my skills sharp as well as, you know, make sure there's money in my pocket when I first started out than to teach. I never really saw myself as a someone who was teaching. I would always say, oh, I don't know if that's with me, maybe in 30 years. But I got I got an opportunity, I got into it, and honestly, like I love it. So I don't I don't regret it at all. It's something that I think I'll keep doing, maybe not on a full-time like I do it part time and mm -hmm. I don't know that it'll ever be a full time basis, mm -hmm. but um, it's definitely something that I want to keep keep doing. How long have you been teaching? Ooh, um, I've been teaching now on and off for about six years, both here at the CUNY Graduate School of Journalism, as well as at some undergraduate institutions and like, you know, summer journalism programs, that kind of thing. So it's a mixture. And um, so you do do this part time and then you're also an entrepreneur. Tell me how you got into because I, I guess you're reporting name is Melissa Noel but you know your site is like Melissa Noel report so how did you come into that role and be able to how were you able to sustain yourself right and to be able to travel as well I think that's a big thing when people look they're gonna be like wait a minute now like what's going get, on where's she going you? where's she getting this money <laughs> um so that was a major thing for me I initially thought I would, you know, come out of grad school, start working for, cause I had, I've been working in the industry for, for about two years before I did my master's program. So I figured do the master's and then just take the, the route. I was always told, you know, start small, work your way up. But when I got back and I started working, I was working under a, um, a freelance contract at NBC news. When that ended, I decided that like, I didn't want to be, I didn't want to go small. I didn't want to go to a small town and work my way up, you know, in television news. Oh, right. I wanted to tell stories about the Caribbean. Mm -hmm. I wanted to tell stories about the Caribbean diaspora. I wanted to tell stories about marginalized communities that I wasn't seeing being covered. I was just exhausted at only hearing about the Caribbean when it was weather related or mm -hmm. crime related. And I, it's something that had been on my mind for years. And I thought that was the perfect opportunity. I had gotten, um, I went on the job interview and I didn't get the job. And when I didn't get that job, I, I took it as a sign that, okay, I'm not meant to be doing this, mm -hmm. the small town. Nothing's wrong with that, but I just knew that I think it's, it serves its purpose. It's definitely, it's really great to be a part of small town communities and, and to do that work as journalists. And it's very, um, it's very important. But for me, I just saw something bigger. I saw something more challenge. I need to challenge myself. So I decided that I would do freelance work and it, my parents were like are you mad yeah <laughs> yep. you working a good good job you're making your good money and you want to do what is freelance like that makes no sense you know Caribbean parents they don't I'm, that just doesn't yeah there was no way they, they a lot of things it. I understand so, you know they come here and then they have an idea of the things that you're supposed to do I was do. supposed to be a dermatologist oh gosh okay I was gonna because I have eczema I was supposed to find the cure for eczema oh and, like make waves and just like make all this money and, and so for them it was like what are you doing but right. I knew and I wanted something more so I became a freelancer and I will tell you the first two years I wasn't making money mm -hmm. I was spending money right I wasn't making you it. have to it invest was, in order to you have, have to invest return. In, exactly so I invested in myself mm -hmm. I decided that okay I wanted to be in Trinidad reporting I had friends there, so I'd buy my one-way plane ticket, I'd sleep on a friend's couch, I'd go by my aunt's stem or a cousin, I'd do my stories, and I'd go home. Mm. And it was 
I was a producer still, you know, still bringing in money, producing, teaching part time, and then going on these stories, spending my money. Mm. Um, and so I wasn't making anything at that point in time. But what I felt that I was making was my name. And I thought that was bigger than anything. I had to brand myself. I had to make sure people knew who I was and what I was doing. So that for me was more important than the money because I knew the money would come mm -hmm. uh, eventually. I just needed to really like go hard on, on what it is that I needed to do. And once my editors, where I was producing, I, I was working as a producer, once my editors at these stations started to see that, hey, your story did the best, you know, this week, or it was a top for our site and you're talking, you're doing Caribbean stories, they started to pay attention they started to give me a budget or they would say, okay, we can play for your ticket. Okay, we can put you up. It wasn't like, a, yeah, go do the story, but we don't have any budget for you. Right. They started to listen to me and that's when it flipped. Um, and then I started to be able to ask for certain things. Yeah, yeah, right. And I, was, I started to get some contracts that way. I connected with some organizations um, when it came to coverage, I was able to get on those press lists or know when things were happening. So I had a heads up to give to editors and it just started to fall into place like that. That's when the shift came. But I had to put in that work for about two and a half years on my own, mm. spend my own money, you know, spend my own money, spend it, spend it someone, <laughs> sleep on friends' couches, that kind of thing. When you, it wasn't, the pictures always look wonderful. It's like, oh my God, she's mm. here, she's there, she's everywhere. But nobody sees the 4 a.m. wake-ups to be somewhere by 6.30 or the fact that you're like, you know, you're spending the night by your aunt's house because, you know, you, you can't, you couldn't afford the hotel or, and that, and I don't, people don't necessarily need to see that, but I think it's important to understand that there's a grind behind it. Like, there and for other is, people that want to do it too, mm -hmm. like, uh, they should definitely know and understand that it's okay to be on the lower end and that definitely, you know, as long as you do your work, that it will get better. It it, it will pay off but the thing is people a lot of times people want the results right away mm -hmm. and that if you want immediate results then entrepreneur entrepreneurship may not be for you because the results don't come overnight like and I remember my mentor one of my mentors is Joanne Reed MSNBC yes oh, okay. I am Joy Guyanese girl hey girl <laughs> um she told me when she was still the managing editor of thegriel.com, when it was a part of NBC News and I was like working under her, she was my editor, she just said, hey, Melissa, any overnight success you see, it took at least nine years for them mm. to get there. There is no overnight success. You have to day in, day out, build your brand. And if this is what you want to do, then it has to be what you do day in, day out. So I took that advice and that's why I left my full-time position because I knew that Working full time, I would be. I was reporting, and that was great. But if I wasn't focusing on the kinds of stories that I wanted to do, the content wouldn't. The it, the quality of the content wouldn't be there. I wouldn't be able to build a brand on content that I wasn't doing. Right. Like it just was. It just couldn't make sense. So I knew I had to take that leap of faith and just like figure it out. I knew I would be able to figure it out because I had that passion and that drive for the stories. And it came together. I'm not saying it was easy, but it, it definitely came together. So that's how I kind of was like, okay, I have to teach. So I have to keep money in my pocket. Okay, I'm still going to produce on right, the side. Right. I'm going to make sure that, you know, I'm going to be smart about it. Right. Thanks, West Indian parents, you know. <laughs> um, but I knew I'd be smart about it, but I knew that I would take some losses. But in the, in the long run, I would have the wins because now I get more story requests, interview requests, and I can even take on mm. like it's just I'm inundated and I would love to do them all but I'm only one person but that's a good problem to have right. and I've been able to secure you know some really good regular contracts for myself so that I know that I have four stories from this place a week or I know that I have this TV contract and you know I have four months six months here or there but that takes time and it also takes like building up your business knowledge I didn't have any business training mm. but in order to gotta learn as you go you have to learn as questions. you go you have to be willing to ask questions you have to be willing to learn something new and then also like know you're gonna make mistakes but learn from them you have to learn about like contract negotiations mm -hmm. how to protect your brand mm -hmm. your ideas yeah, you know especially like when you're in a creative a field it's easy for people to copy or like, if you don't know how to protect what you create so those are all things you know, you never stop learning. Oh, yes, you know, I did the master's, whatever. 
but I still had to take classes to really learn the business side of things. So I wouldn't be here selling myself short because mm. um, it's easy. Sometimes you read contract. I had to learn <laughs> things like, you know, you're reading through a contract and you're not, you don't agree with something, but you might be afraid to speak up. I'm like, no, now. Melissa Noel, I will strike it through and I'll say, hey, can we go back to the table on this? Or I'm not sure I agree with that language or I'm not comfortable with this. Can we put in that clause? Like I have no problem. And this is you on your own, like no <laughs> lawyer or anything this like is that. Me, this is me on my own mm-hmm. taking the time to invest in myself. Right. Taking the time to sit down and read. Like the weekends and people are out, oh, let me go brunch, let me go. Great, but I have to, I had to just sit down and do it for me. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when it came time for bigger things, and I was at the point where I could bring on a lawyer, but I could go to that person and say, hey, I'm trying to negotiate this and this and that. I would need your expertise here. Right. But I knew what I needed. I didn't go in blindly. But most of the things I was able to just kind of really push forward on my own, but I had to take that time to learn. They, like there was no, there was no shortcut. It was just like learning it. So now it's what it's been six years, and you know the brand is has been solidified, and I'm very proud of that. But there's still work to be done, um, and I just I'm grateful, and I think that it can only go up from here, particularly because we're seeing. Whether it's Caribbean actors or doctors or mm-hmm. engineers, singers, whatever it is, they the the platform that recognition is there a lot more, mm-hmm. and I think it's become easier for people to as on the journalism side for stories to be accepted, for people to be excited about it. But there's still a lot of work to be done mm-hmm. when it comes to coverage in mm-hmm. general. So. I'm happy to be a part of that, like, push right. to see it be every day and not just, oh, we have this, you know, one little Caribbean story over here. Yeah. yeah. I think it's important what you're doing because um, many people don't have to pick up, like, Starbuck News or Caribbean Life. I don't see a lot of digital content right. covering Caribbean people. And it being accessible to a large amount of people of Caribbean descent. So I think that it's important, and I hope that this encourages more people to branch into um, this field. So speaking of Caribbean people, Caribbean people are very, notoriously very private. How, like, what steps did you have to take in order to kind of convince them to trust you with their stories? So I will say two things. There are a lot of great Caribbean, I would like outlets out there. I just, for me, what was important was making sure that our culture reached people who didn't know about us too, mm-hmm. or that weren't familiar, mm-hmm. or that what they knew and what they heard was weather or crime related. It was important right, right. for me to have Caribbean stories on mainstream media outlets because I feel there are a lot of great Caribbean outlets, smaller ones or community ethnic based outlets that do a really great job but I wanted for me it was important for it to not just reach people of Caribbean descent but to reach people who have no connection and but need to know about us I was like you need to know about we're here we're doing things yes and we have connections to you we shouldn't like and there's more than four million of us in the United States. There's no reason why our stories are not <laughs> more than four million of us in New York. We're <laughs> like, come on. So yeah. that that was like my first thing. But for me, getting people to open up, I think one because I am a Caribbean American and I know how we do things and I know how we roll. I was able to use that to my advantage. Mm-hmm. Oh, and I say that in the way of. I was able to know how to approach, when to approach, when not to approach, what would be acceptable, what would not. Right. But then what I was also able to do is, I think what's really important for Caribbean people, they have to know that you're genuine and that you actually care. Mm. So for me, it didn't matter if I had a story assignment or not. If you were having an event, I was going to be there. Mm. If you if you had a community something, whatever it was, it could be for any island, any country in the region. If you had it and we made a connection in some way, I would show up. Mm. And, I sh- and I always showed up because I needed people to understand that this is not a job for me. This is a passion. I am one of you. You are a part of me and I care about you just like you care about me. 
And so I think that's what has made the difference for me is that I show up. It's not a job. It's my passion. Like, these are my people. I care. I want to see us elevated. And I think that when people, particularly Caribbean people, are able to <clears throat> see that genuity about you, then they're like, uh-huh, okay, good. <laughs> we could talk. But you have to... And then showing up means giving of yourself and of your time. Right. So and time is really more um, valuable than, than people any, realize. People don't like. I would go. You know, Grenada's consulate is. You know, one of their featured artists is coming to New York, and they're having an event. Saint Lucia has an art exhibit. You know, out one of their. You know, great artists like Jalim Udovic. I remember him having his Kudman exhibit on display when St. Lucia celebrated 37 years of independence. They just, you know, this was a couple of years ago, but it's like, I get those, I got those invitations. I was there, you know, I would show my, not only just show my face, but I would have conversations. I would let them know what kind of stories I was working on and I want to keep in touch that I want to know what's happening on their islands, islands and as well as here in the diaspora in New York and beyond. And when people start to see you do that, not just a one-off, but like constantly, and it's regular, and you're reaching out, um, and then forming community. Like I use social media very heavy in terms of reaching out to people and building community because you need people to know. Just the same way they want you to know who who they are, you need to let people know who you are and what you stand for. Mm. And I did a lot of that. It was like spending my weekends at events or leaving the newsroom <clears throat> to go and support. Haiti or go and support Trinidad and Tobago or go whatever it was and then when I was you know I would go to do these stories in these countries it's it was the same thing just showing up um, and letting people know like you care about them mm -hmm. and I think that and that you were among them not just for the story but in general and after I was able to do that then the stories just came to me, mm. literally. Like, uh, the stories were coming to me, to my inbox, to my Instagram. People would call me, text me, like, give me tips. It's that kind of thing. But I think I, I approach other people the same way I would have to approach my grandmother, mm. my father, my mother, with that same sense of respect. Mm. Um, and, like, you know, that those good manners and all that good stuff. <laughs> hello, good night, hello, good night. <laughs> good night, good how, how's everything? I mean, mm -hmm, yes, I'm such a such child, and yes, everything. It is just, and but I think that those things are key, right? Those things are key because whatever culture or, or group or beat you cover as a reporter, you have to know those nuances. Yes. You mm -hmm. really do. And I think that's why I feel like I have an advantage because those nuances are, that's what I grew up with. Right. I get it. And I know people are skeptical. It's like, reporter? Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. No. But when I come to them, like, listen, like, I want, you see the same way you say you feel like nobody cares. I want, I can show you that I care. And then this is how other people are going to care. But I need you to share with me because right. I can't, I can't do it by myself. I need your stories. And it's like, okay, cool. Okay. So then <laughs> I guess that would lead into uh, barrel stories mm -hmm. and you just had a, an event for it, but just tell everybody a little bit about it and how that story came about. Sure. So <clears throat> barrel stories or the, the event I had was called beyond the barrel sharing our stories of migration and separation. Mm -hmm. And this, this is that event, which was an exhibit and a panel discussion was a result of about a year and a half, almost two years worth of reporting that I did, um, both for Voices of New York and NBCnews.com. And it, it looked into the impact of migration on Caribbean children. So when a parent from the Caribbean migrates for economic opportunities abroad and has to leave the ch uh, their child or children behind, how does that impact the child emotionally? How does it impact their well-being? Um, and uh, the, the term that's used is, is, a, is barrel child because while these children often receive you know, all the material things that they need, what they often lack from their parents is emotional nurturance because their parents, is, parents are so far Far away mm -hmm. and sometimes are not able to be there for them in that 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 way that they need in terms of that parent-child bond. So what I looked into is how it not only impacts the you know a child might impact the child right now, but how it can impact somebody throughout their entire lives. So I spent, you know, I interviewed more than 40 people um, over that time. I spent 
several weeks in Jamaica. Um, I spent a little time in Trinidad, and then I went throughout New York and Miami just interviewing people about their experiences with this um, issue and found that there are a lot of um, emotional and psychological um, impacts that it does have on people, whether it's depression, whether it's not being able to open up to people, whether it's feelings of suicide, um, and also how parent-child relationship breakdowns happen when you reunite after, with a parent after 15, mm -hmm. 16 years, that parent, that child, they're strangers, and the lack of support that they have sometimes in the community, as well as the lack of social services that exist to help families both in the Caribbean and you know here once once they reunite or if they don't reunite how to just help facilitate communication between families um it's been a really really eye-opening and important body of work for me um, not only as a journalist but as a as a caribbean person mm -hmm. um a lot of times we don't talk about mental health issues yeah. Well, we don't. I'll just say that. Not even a lot of times. We do not talk about mental health. Mm -hmm. um, it's not something that it's, it's still a lot of that. Like we're, pri we're private people, so we don't really want to touch on those things. But I thought it was important to just Plus open the door. <laughs> just let everybody know. Open the floodgates and really look at, you know, I met women and men who were 50 years old and still scarred um, by the fact that they didn't understand why their parent had to leave. And I know like for parents, they're making a sacrifice to come to the US or Canada or England to make a better way for their children to earn more, a lot of that kind of thing. So they're, they're making a great sacrifice. But for a lot of the children, mm -hmm. they may not get that at that, that point in time. And if that bond isn't restored or it's not talked about, sometimes it has, you know, what I found was it leaves irreparable damage and um, because there's a lack of attention and support around this, some of those issues are never resolved. Um, so what we try to do with, with you know, this, this Barrel Stories um, series for NBC News and then with this resulting Beyond the Barrel event series is to really put it in your face, bring it to the forefront. It's not that it's something new. It's I didn't do anything new. It's been happening for years. But what I did just was... just documented now. Exactly. Yeah. It's documented in, for a different audience, a bit wider. And it's not only showing that, hey, this problem has been around for decades, but now, hey, what are we going to do about it? So I didn't do anything new. What I tried to do was reopen the conversations and then put some action behind it so that families, both in the Caribbean and here in the diaspora, could get some help. There needs to be funding behind it. There needs to be social services. There's so right. many things that happen. It's like counseling services are needed, legal services, school services. Like, I can't even tell you how many people I met that said, you know, I wish that me and my mom could have sat with a counselor at my school. Mm. You know, I didn't even know high school wise. I didn't feel like I had the help. We didn't know where to turn. My, my mom was working three jobs. I thought she would make up for lost time, but she couldn't because she's she working three dollars. You know, like there was all these things and you have people who have people who came here 10, 12, 15 years ago and still haven't had a conversation with their parent about how that has impacted their life. Mm. That's a big issue. You have a lot of people walking around really scarred. And the one thing that everyone that I talked to told me was we need support. Right. We just wish there was some kind of support system to help us get through this. And we hope to form some kind of coalition to bring more attention to it. So that's and, my hope. And network as well. There are too many Caribbean Americans here in prof in high level professional um, and some who, And some who and may very off. well have gone through this experience yeah. themselves. Yeah. That we don't have... What I found is that there's no one single comprehensive program that addresses issues of migration impacts in Caribbean families. That's something that I personally, not like forget my role as a journalist, that's something that's just like as a Caribbean American, I want to see that change. Right. There should be an organization. There should, if you're coming, if you're about to leave Guyana, you're leaving Jamaica, you have to leave your children behind. There should be a process, a, a prep for you to be exactly. able to know what you're getting into. Prepare your children, mm -hmm. you know, maintain some, some that kind of contact, help work through the migration process when you're trying to bring your children up here. And then the adjustment process, you know, coming here from the Caribbean, it's a, it's a very, it's so different 
So, and then you have children. I remember interviewing one young lady. She comes here from Jamaica. Her mom has a, a son, her, another child. Her mom has a husband. And, and she's thrust into the public school system. Like, the, it's, the, it's snowing, the culture shock. Mm -hmm. there, there's a lot. Mm -hmm. And I just think that if there was some kind of organization that people could reach out to there and here, we would have a world of a difference for our people. So being on both sides mm -hmm. of that spectrum, so living here and then living in Guyana, mm -hmm. what's one thing that you would want people to know? Like, so for instance, when you came here, mm -hmm. uh, what's one thing that you would want, like maybe whoever it is that you were staying with in Guyana to know and vice versa? I think for, and, and I ask this because mm -hmm. I, I've spent a very, I think a significant amount of time in Guyana, but I'm American. I live here. I'm mm -hmm. a first generation. And I, I keep talking to my cousins and telling them how Guyanese. much, how much well, that too. That's, that's a whole different <laughs> story. story. But I'm just putting that out there. That's a whole different story. Because sometimes I feel like, and I'll just say this, like, I feel like we, people want to tell you what you are. Mm -hmm. Like I, I can't, mm -hmm. I can't control where I was born, right. but I do know who I am and where I come from. And I find it interesting that sometimes when there's a celebrity status attached to it, it's like, she's then one it's of better. us. Where then she's it's one of okay. us. She's yep. the daughter of the soil. She's, this is her home. But if you're just a regular, uh, the average person, then it's like, you can't be. I don't think it's, it's fair to pick and choose who you want to call where from wherever or she's one of us mm -hmm. if someone knows who they are they know their culture they know their identity they are proud of where they come from and they and they are contributing to that positively mm -hmm. i don't think it's your place to tell them anything <laughs> when it comes you know what to that. Too? i think it's unfair and it really turns people off because I've spent a significant amount of time trying to do things towards helping Guyana, and the reception kind of, oh, that's nice. You know what I mean? But today, tomorrow, my name Rihanna. She's, her mother's Guyanese. She's one of us. She's a daughter of the soil. So, you know, I, I would say that to say that please be aware of the things that you say, especially to first generations, because they're quick to tell you that you're not so-and-so. Yeah. And then they want to know why you don't help. Exactly. It's like, it's, it's, as my mother would say, half a <laughs> half a one, a dozen of the other. Like you, you give on this side, but then they try to take it back on the other. And I think that for me personally, like I am very, very confident in who I am, and it doesn't phase me at all. But I will say that people should be aware because in the one breath, it's like you're put down, but then with the next breath, it's like, well, why don't you do this? Why don't you do that? I shouldn't be, or no one should be you know, Trinidadian when it's convenient mm. for a group of people or Guyanese when it's convenient. No, if that person, if their roots are there, their roots are there. Like, that's it. <laughs> and I mean, I know people might want to debate me on that. That's fine. But I'm confident in who I am. I know who I am and my identity. I love both Guyana and, and the United States of America with equal parts of me. Both places are home. And that's it. <laughs> I think one thing that I've seen too as well is that, um, and especially talking to my cousins, because I'm actually really close with them. Um, I've had the opportunity to build relationships and maintain that thanks to technology. Amen. What's up? <laughs> so, and I think that a lot of people from the Caribbean, a lot of the younger people from the Caribbean feel like they can't do the things that we do because we live in America. You know what I mean? Like, and I, especially my cousins and guys, I'm like, you guys have unlimited potential, but you don't see it because you feel like we're not from New York or they don't see other people doing it within the Caribbean too. So, um, you know, I would just want to say that as well. Uh, what's your definition of culture? Wow. That's tough. <laughs> I would say that I don't have, I don't think I have one definition, but when I think of culture, I think of all the beautiful elements that make up someone's roots. Mm. And I think that's everything from the music, the language, the traditions, the, and the people, especially the people, like those practices that you, just things like 
like being Afro Guyanese and where before it's a wedding you're doing a kwe kwe, yeah. you know, like enjoying that richness of a kwe kwe, enjoy like making sure that you know, you know, if someone passes and you have your nine night, like you just just the way of life, like the the idea of that those that respect for your for your parents, you know, those those food traditions, whether it's pepper pot for Christmas or it's like, it, it's just, there's just so many things. But I feel like it's culture for me. It's like those rituals mm. and experiences that contribute to someone's roots. And I think it's such a beautiful, magnificent thing and it should be celebrated. And I feel like if you are celebrating the place from which you came, the place from which your ancestors came, you should be celebrated too. Mm-hmm. Like, I really, really wholeheartedly believe that. What's your definition of uh, the diaspora? Because I, I just heard this term, mm-hmm. like, recently. I'm like, wait, what's this? <laughs> what's going on? So for people that aren't familiar with, um, like, Caribbean culture, and even, like, Caribbean Americans, like, I hear that word mm-hmm. used a lot. So what what is your definition of I think you would be well-equipped to speak about it because you are reporting from both sides as well. Right. I mean, if you look at the textbook definition of diaspora, it's it's really plain. <laughs> and yeah. it's just like, okay, you know, the people who are from a certain place, but they're not living in that there place anymore, anymore right? Yeah. So I'm like, okay. But, <laughs> so it doesn't really give you much, but I feel like the, the diaspora, when you think diaspora, it's like, it's so vast because we're not just, for me, I don't just think Caribbean diaspora, I think African diaspora. We're all over the world. We're mm-hmm. not where we were originally from, but we're making our marks and we're, we're, we're everywhere. And I feel like the diaspora are all of the people that have come from <laughs> wherever it is that they came from. And they have made their mark elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that Although we're diaspora, right, we're not living in the places from which we came originally mm-hmm. and we're in other spaces, our connections, our connections are still really strong. Like to know that we still celebrate West African traditions and, you know, and, 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 and Guyanese culture. And sometimes yeah. people don't even know that. Yeah. Um, to know the solid dress is still there, to know that, that the language is there, to know that we celebrate like our food traditions Hello, like you look at just look at the food. And just that look is at the culture. food. Yeah. That is culture and that speaks to the diaspora. We are not in the spaces from which we originated, but where we are now, those those elements of our culture are still being celebrated. So our diaspora are all of us in all these spaces, I feel like making our mark in other places. Mm. I really, really truly feel that. And I feel like I'm in a uniquely I feel like I'm in a really unique position to be able to do it from both sides. And I think that's that was what was so important to me. I didn't want to just... And another thing about authenticity, right, with Caribbean people, it's like, oh, you covering the Caribbean, but you really just doing it from New York. No. Like, you know, like, I didn't want that to be... I, I didn't want that. I wanted to make sure people knew that. Not only was I doing stuff here in the diaspora and the communities here in New York, Miami, D.C., what have you. I want people to know that I was in communities in the Caribbean Mm -hmm. to doing stories on the ground, um, looking at issues that are affecting people back home and then putting the link toward the diaspora because nothing that's happening back home is not in some way not linked or affecting the diaspora. Right. We're linked, period, mm-hmm. no matter where we are. So I thought it was important for me to take my stories and show the connection. So like with the with my series that focused focused on the impact of migration, not only did I spend time in the Caribbean looking at what was happening with Caribbean children now, I then came here and said, hey, this problem continues once you come here mm-hmm. because parents and children need to... <clears throat> work on their bonds they have other issues that arise they haven't seen each other in 15 years you're not just going to be the partridge family you know like it's it's gonna take time it's gonna take community effort so for me it's about showing those links and i i feel like that's why i'm in a unique position i can show those links i can show how we're connected and i can show people that hey like our stories are just as important and here's why just take a read take a listen you know watch this um so i'm really proud of the work that i get to do and i'm just i'm grateful to everybody that's embraced me Mm. um there's so much love that i get and sometimes like social media can be like crazy but i have to really give it to a lot of the people on social media that i've 
I've encountered, that I've met, that I've done stories on, who really just supported me in every way possible, like share everything that I do, will give me story leads, will just help. Um, I'm so appreciative because I can't, you can't do things alone. Like Definitely. no matter what you're doing, you mm -hmm. have to have a community. So I'm thankful for the community that has embraced the kinds of stories that I have sought to do. And I just hope that it continues to grow. Like I'm so excited <laughs> to do more. Like, you know, I'm so I feel very blessed. I'm just looking forward to doing even more in my role um, as a, you know, working for outlets like NBC News or ABC News, that kind of thing. I think it's important that we keep a voice in these spaces, definitely. What's a surprising commonality you've seen um, with people across the Caribbean? In terms of what, anything? Yeah, anything. Um. You've traveled a lot. And for me, like, I, I've traveled uh, to different places and maybe even Spanish-speaking places. And there's certain things that people do, and I'm like, you guys do that here? Interesting. But it's just in Spanish. Or, you know what I mean? <laughs> you know, when I, I, I think I could use Cuba as an example. Mm. I mean, to walk down the street in Havana and... We, like as we keep talking about diaspora, but to walk down the street in Havana and just see people like you see a dude with a high top fade, gold chains. He yeah. looks like he'd just be on Flatbush Ave in yeah. Brooklyn, <laughs> like just saying what's up. And instead, he'll speak to you, and he spoke to me in Spanish and told me I was his sister and I was beautiful. Like that was amazing because it's like no matter where we are in the world as a African diaspora or the diaspora in general. We still see ourselves. We see ourselves yeah. and it was so beautiful. Like I could have cried, right? Yeah. I was like, he just called me his sister. He just said I was beautiful. He looks like, he looks like my homeboy in Brooklyn. <laughs> like, I love this. I love you. Is I just, those things fill me up. They mm. fill me up daily, you know, to be in St. Vincent and to learn a little bit more about the Garifono people there and their traditions and, and know like that, although these, these, this beautiful culture, they were exiled from St. Vincent, how many hundreds of years ago went to other places, but the culture is still there. Hmm. That's beautiful. And it's still celebrated. So everywhere I go, when I see these like little things or like Guyana, okay, I go somewhere and the, what do you call it? The points of broom. Mm -hmm, yeah. I've seen the points of broom being used. I've seen people in Queens. I'm like, <laughs> I've seen the points of broom being used all across the region. It's called something different, yeah. but it's still a points of broom and it still sweeps the best. Out of, uh, listen, sorry, vacuums, <laughs> but that points of broom still sweeps the best out of any, any broom, any vacuum I've ever had. So, <laughs> so it's like little 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 things like that are like when you when you go somewhere and like you're e you're eating a meal and they may use it in one way or you may use it in another but still same oh we use this too we do that too mm -hmm. it's just beautiful like I I get so excited because it's so so nice and when I write my stories and I, it just feels familiar I think the famili familiarity of it is just is like it makes you feel more comfortable yes. like alright well I know what's going on I could do this and then people say to me you wrote that story you sure you're not from here and I'm like <laughs> no I'm not I'm Guyanese oh no you must be Grenadian you must be Vincentia I'm like no but you just wrote it like you were from here and I'm just like we're connected. Like, you know, yeah. I, I know you like you know me. We have commonalities. We're not the same, but we have so many commonalities. They're beautiful. Our, and the things that, the uniqueness about each place is beautiful, but the commonality is beautiful too. So that fills me up. <laughs> <laughs> so how has your reporting impacted policies, if, if at all? I will say that I'm finally getting to a place where that's happening, and that happened with the migration series I did for NBC News. I was able to, um, I was, I was invited to the United Nations mm -hmm. to give testimony about the impact of migration on Caribbean families before um, several dignitaries, um, NGO heads of NGOs, and UN delegates who were going to be voting on the Global Compact for Migration um, during, so I went during social, U, uh, World Social Justice Day, and I tell you that 
that for me, it was it was mind blowing because to to have that kind of invitation when you know people are going to go and vote on policy Mm. that will indeed impact right. Caribbean people mm-hmm. down the line because we're migrate <laughs> we're a mi- we're a migrant people people are going to continue to migrate um, it touched me because I have always wanted to make sure that my reporting did more than just it, it's, it's more it's not about me it's about the story and it's about how we can create effective positive change so to know that my testimony was included, at the United Nations, um, to know that the Beyond the Barrel series is not didn't just spark conversation, but we're actually putting some action behind creating the organizations to help Caribbean families both here um, and and in the region. That's where I think I have started, mm. and I'm definitely going to continue that for sure. What would you say to? Um first generations or even, you know, children of immigrants, which I mean, yes, it is the country, but, you know, a closer link, you know, as far as like first or second generations, um, as far as the impact and, and the responsibility that they have in order to maintain and elevate their communities. I think that I would say that for me, or my advice would be that your parents' country or your grandparents' country is just as much your country as it is theirs. And I say that because you have a responsibility to see to it, to see, you have, I feel like you have a responsibility to aid in the success of these countries. Why? Because we're just, what, one person removed from having, you know, being born and raised there. I feel like we owe it to ourselves to build up our communities. We owe it to ourselves and our ancestors, our parents, to know that, to, to contribute. And, and that's important because how do we create legacy if we're not, if we're not contributing to our own? Mm. Yes, we do need to build where we are. This is our land as well. We're here in the United States. But in order to continue a legacy, that legacy shouldn't stop because your parents moved to a different country. That legacy should continue because you are giving back. And that could be, and it doesn't have, people often think it means money. Right. It, and it doesn't. It, I think services, and especially the, the people that I know, um, they are doing such great things. And I wish that people would think more so to bring it back to the home countries right. as well. It's like, you can, so for instance, my mom went to St. Rose's High School in Guyana when she has, when they had their reunion in 2015, Mm. I went, I sat with students, I talked to them about my career, Mm. I worked with them on their their media presentations, Mm. (laughs) I go back and I teach when I can, when there's fundraisers happening here in New York for their alumni associations, I'm a part of that to help raise money for their scholarships to go to this current students of St. Rose's. It's like, you can do, and when I, when I say help raise money, give enough my time. Right, right. Um, when they're, you know, <clears throat> they're having fundraiser events, working on the committees, just being involved. It's like small acts of service mm-hmm. can really make a big impact. You don't have to be giving, you know, $1,000 checks or more. You can really be just investing your time or even your expertise. I know... Like, for instance, Shakira Marshall is an amazing choreographer, um, (laughs) dancer, singer. And I mean, I worked on a story. I I interviewed her for a story, but then I ended up, you know, when we were both in Guyana in 2016, um, she goes and she teaches dance. Mm. Like, that's a beautiful thing. That is giving up your time and of your service to make sure that the arts is something that is, you know, gets the kind of attention it deserves for students in Guyana. And it's underdeveloped, too, because I know that, I know for a fact that they have cut, it's the same problem that we have here, Here. but um, I think our resources and the amount of people that are available to give more of the services are more readily available here as opposed to there. So, you know, services and and the arts, like you see how many people, and I I see it floating around with uh, the the cast or the makeup of the cast of Black Panther and stuff like that. (laughs) So, So... it's really important and people forget even um 
our parents, I think sometimes they forget how important this is. You know yeah. what I mean? You tell them you're going to go write a story or you're going to go sing. Have you ever seen the, the interview with Letitia? I did. And she was like, you go do what? You can make money off of that? What? It's important. It's important. And the she, arts she, are just as important. She talked about how she didn't have that. Like, nobody in the family was an mm-hmm. a actor, an actress. And there wasn't, it was, uh, it's underdeveloped. There are no, there were, what was the acting school she was going to go to, you know, at that point in time? But yeah. she stuck with it. That's important for people. It made me cry to see how many Caribbean people were in Black Panther because you get to see yourself. You get to know that it's doable it's possible like if she could do it you could do it if he could do it you can do it too no matter where it is you come from you just need that little encouragement and that I I bring that I say that all to say you can be that encouragement for somebody else through your acts of Of service service. yeah I think it's for me it's kind of scary to think about the fact that what if they didn't migrate or what if they didn't stick with this you wouldn't have that person and you wouldn't see that reflection of yourself we wouldn't see Winston Duke or Letitia right we wouldn't if they didn't weren't able to have that support or know like hey I'm good I can do this I will do this right. I think it's important that if you're a first generation second generation um, think about the culture that your parents have instilled in you and think about how important that is to you um, or how that's impacted you in your life what if you didn't have that mm. it's just the same way that how that was instilled in you you want to keep that legacy going I think that it's important that it doesn't end because your parents left the country they're still instilling they they still provide that culture that importance you know you're still connected um so why not like give of yourself your time your service and some capacity we have first and second generation people um you know children who are doing some amazing things, you know, opening businesses, mm-hmm. having arts programs. And support their businesses. And like, please, please and thank you. There's just like, I, I cannot tell you, I make it a point to support Caribbean businesses, whether it's uh, I'm reporting, I'm wearing a Caribbean designer, or there's an event happening. I'm like, oh, whose event is that? Okay, let me just make sure. Even if I can't make it, I'll buy a ticket because I know that those funds will go to where it needs to go. It's, it's just small things. Oh, there's this new business that opened up all the owners from here, you know, wherever. I'm like, oh, that, you know, this brother, this sister needs support. I'm going to go. It's like we have to be in constant community. And I, I mean, in every sense of the word, that is so important. It can't just be, like I, like I continue to say, it cannot just be when it's convenient. Mm. It has to be constant. Yeah. It has to be continual. And that's what I try to try to do just as a person outside of for me it's like okay you work for here there wherever like that's not what's important and I don't I don't make a big deal about the outlets I work for that's not what it's about it's about the stories it's about the people and I think it's about that like being genuine so I genuinely like seek out ways to support us um not that I support everyone but I I specifically make it a point to say hey like we need to give these people support because we need it (laughs) because we need it yeah I think also, people need to be more open-minded. People, your family, your parents. Because for me, when I started music, I it wasn't a shock that I wanted to do music. I've been singing all my life. But I left grad school, and you know, I had a, a serious like meeting with my parents. And I was like, "Listen, guys, I'm not going back to grad school." <laughs> so and I'm gonna, not really. Their main concern was like legit. They were just like. So what do we do? What do you need us to do? And okay, how good. do we support you? Good. There was no, there's no book. There's no um, syllabus as right. to there's how no manual. to, right. How to make it as an independent artist, as well as how to sustain yourself doing so. So that was their main concern. And I feel like if more people had that support, they would, they could get a lot further. Um, there's times that like I have shows, my mom's working, my dad would come. I have shows, I have an event, my parents are setting up, they're buying the stuff, they're cooking, you know what I mean? So I think it's very important. If your parents don't quite understand what you do, let them know, play them this interview. <laughs> I, I think I think that is that is that speaks volumes because for so many years, my dad would say to me, I remember I started at ABC News right out of Howard, and after a year, he just said, why are you not an anchor? Like, why aren't you Like, it's Diane easy to Sawyer? do. <laughs> and I said, Dad, that's not how like any that. of this works. 
That is just not how this industry works. <laughs> still, we working. I was working overnights at the time. You're working mm. overnights. I got you working midnight to 10 a.m. And what do you have to show for it? Where, where's the money? Where's the where's, where's the accolades? I said, Dad, no, 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 no. It's just not how this works. Have a conversation it, with your parents. And it Let took them know. A, it, yeah. And it's not like I had to sit them down and explain to them that you have to pay your dues for a number of years. Mm-hmm. There's a lot that you have to sacrifice and it's nothing that happens overnight. It's not like some of my friends, you know, went into different fields and it's, you work a year or two, you get this great promotion, you're making, you know, six figures. That's not how this works. It takes a lot longer and you have to have a lot more patience and a lot more like grind and drive in you. Um, I think once they got that, then it was like, oh, okay, uh, okay. I think they still want me to be Diane Sawyer, but I'll be the Diane Sawyer of the Caribbean. I'll take that. <laughs> so since we're both Guyanese, I, for most people that know me, I would hope that I've made it very clear of how proud I am to be a yeah. Guyanese. I don't tell people I'm Guyanese. Anymore. I'm like, look, no, I'm listen, Guyanese. I'm Guyanese. That's it. You can clearly hear that I'm not, I didn't grow up there. You know what I mean? But that's the, that's the thing. You don't have to. Right. Like, people if, don't. You, if, you born, if you were born there and you left there at three, four years old, you're not sounding like Guyanese either. So really, let's cut it, folks, okay? Seriously. Let's just agree that we can love where we're from, we know who we are, and we can help just like you can help, and we both love the same country. That's it. What, what is your hope for Guyana? What do you want to see? I I always say this, that Guyana has so much potential, but they're too busy following in other Caribbean islands and other people's steps in order to, like, really define themselves as Guyanese and maintain and build that individuality. For me, my hope, and what has always been my hope... Um, I always say I want people to see the beauty of Guyana because so many people don't know how beautiful that country is and what we have. And go visit. But I also want us to see our own beauty because I think it's twofold. I think that we don't see our own beauty sometimes. uh, And that's where we have a lot of a lot of things that come in that might distract us from that because other people from other places that come in and they they take over and it's just like, can we build each other up first? I just, I really, so for me, I, I want people to see the, I've always said, I want people to see the beauty of Guyana, but I want us to see our own beauty too. Yeah. Um, I encourage people. I, there were a lot of times I would hear very hurtful things from people who were from other parts of the Caribbean about about Guyanese people mm. and I will always say like, like what do y'all do what do you have to, what do you have to offer yep. what music do you have what food do you have and it used to really get to me and instead of getting upset I would just say well I encourage you to listen to these artists mm. to try this food and you know most of all I encourage you to visit because you're speaking about a place that you've never gone mm. And for me, that is the most ignorant thing that anybody could do. Mm. I can compare and contrast places. I will never be disrespectful, Mm -hmm. but I can compare and contrast Guyana to other places and say, you know, Guyana is more of, you know, in in, in the city, it's more like this. But if you go in the interior, Mm -hmm. you have that versus, you know, Trinidad is more industrial here. And then in these parts of Trinidad, when you go South Trinidad, it's more like this. I can talk about that from a place of fact because Mm -hmm. I've seen both places Mm -hmm. and I honor and will never disrespect either one. But when you have people who come to you and say, well, Guyana, this and this, I was like, but you, you've been there? Oh, no? Okay. So we're not going to do this. So I want more people. Like, I know they're having the first Guyana Carnival this year. Mm-hmm. Um, what I think, I think it was smart to align themselves with certain brands that our people already know, like certain parties or events. That was great. But I want more people to see it. The place is gorgeous, man. Like, I just want people to see it. But there's so much character there. And even when you come here, you go on, like, classes <laughs> and stuff like that. Like, it, it never... Like, for me, it it... I never feel how to say, like, out of place because those are the same people that are here in Brooklyn. Mm -hmm. So, what is your role in the revolution? What is a revolution? I'm sorry. What is a revolution? For me, a revolution is disrupting the norm. Hmm. Um, And that could be either positive or negative. You Hmm. take it how you want it. But that's how I think of revolution. You gotta, like, you're disrupting the norm. Hmm. What is your role in the revolution? My role in the revolution is to use my platform to elevate the voices of Caribbean people worldwide, Mm -hmm. period. Like, 
it's and as I, I continue I will always say it's not about me it's about the people and elevating their stories so I'm elevating the voices of Caribbean people worldwide using my work as a journalist to do that like that is my mission um, and I want to see us in more spaces so mm-hmm. my that's what I have to do I feel like that is my responsibility yeah well this is really good uh, this was good <laughs> like, I'm thinking like <laughs> Like, you know, so sometimes you don't get a chance to really just, like, sit and reflect. But when I do things like this, it helps me to, like, really reflect on my mission, my goals, like, where I am. And it's it also gives me perspective and helps me to say, you're doing okay, John, girl. (laughs) You're doing a great job. Cut it out. (laughs) No, because sometimes, like, last week I was so stressed out like I was just (laughs) drowning in work and prep for the UN and prep for this event and all these things that were happening and I was just like what am I doing I'm so good it's just so crazy and I gotta teach but But you worked yourself up to that point where you could have those types of stresses right think of it that way that's true hey that's the upside of it but I want to thank you very much because like you are definitely like the definition of for the culture, for the culture of the Caribbean, the diaspora, the Guyanese people, we're going to make some strides. I promise you and, and I promise everybody. So uh, this is Riketty signing out with Melissa Noel and this is for the culture. Yes. Uh, Black, we declare war. Thank you guys so much for signing in. Change, change, change in